HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're kicking off our end-of-year fundraising drive with a special discount offer from our partner, Heritage Foods USA, an online farm-to-table butcher shop specializing in heritage breed antibiotic-free meats. Donate to Heritage Radio Network before Sunday, December 4th at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and we'll send you an exclusive discount code for 10% off all Heritage Foods products. Help ensure another year of great food radio, Get 10% off delicious and sustainably produced meat and support small family farms all in one shot. How's that for a holiday miracle? Head to heritageradionetwork.org donate by Sunday, December 4th to make your contribution. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Did the blogs really change dining forever? Find out on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. I'm sitting in a shipping container in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn, and that means one thing. It's time for Tech Bites, the weekly radio show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, sitting across from me in the shipping container, is Adam Platt of New York Magazine, who we will be talking about what effect the blogs, internet, and social media have had on dining and restaurants over the past few years. But before we get into that, we're going to start this episode, like every episode, with a good app and go around the shipping container and talk about apps that we love, like, or have just discovered, maybe an old favorite that's been on your home screen forever. And we'll start off with Pierre Bienname, who is our engineer for the day. Pierre, nice to see you. You too. What's cracking? Well, you know, same old, same old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hoping to have some good chats on 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 the air. Yeah, yeah. I actually I'm pretty prepared for this one. Um, if you want me to tell you about the app that I've been using recently, I would love to hear about the app. Yeah. You've um, been using so I don't recently. know if you knew this, but I'm, I'm a total nerd and I've played video games all my life. 
Um, so you're a video game nerd. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, specifically I, I, that kind of nerd, because sure. there's lots of nerds. I mean, I, I, I dabble in other kinds, too, actually. I, I was, <laughs> I'm actually kind of a triple threat. Like, I've played Dungeons & Dragons and all those things, too. But, okay. But video games are awesome, and on the subway, I saw someone recently playing a game that I hadn't played in a while. It's called Downwell, uh, and it's really good, and I uh, downloaded it for my phone specifically after seeing that. And I've been playing a little bit since, and I've still yet to beat the uh, final boss. What is it? Um, what kind of game is it? You know, it? it's funny. You could actually, if you wanted to hear it, I could, I could, I could totally play a tiny bit of it. But it's, it's a platformer, meaning, you know, you're like a, it's a two-dimensional game. You are a, a, a little person, and you're jumping around on these little platforms. This is the game's, you know, platformer started with, uh, with Mario. I mean, I don't know if they started with Mario, but Mario is the one who really made them happen, Nintendo and all that. But yeah, so you're jumping around, and, and the, the, the twist here is that instead of moving left to right like you do in the vast majority of these kinds of games, you're moving down. So that's what it, that was the appeal for you that you're moving down on the platform. Th- that and it's just a, it, it controls really well and it's a really good difficult game. A lot of cool mechanics. Okay, say the name again. Downwell, one word. And that is free. Um, I don't think so. Oh, probably a couple bucks. Couple it's, bucks. Uh, it's a good game, you know. So it's worth a couple bucks then. Definitely. Okay. iTunes and Android iPhone and Android? I'm not sure. I'm an iOS user, iPhone, so that's okay. what I have it for. And uh, I think probably Android also. It's pretty popular. Okay, good to know. I am not super hip on the gaming. The only game that I play on my phone is the Japanese cat game, Neko Atsume. Um, mm. But it's pretty fun. It's it's much easier now that they have, an Eng- have had added English to it, because when I first downloaded it from the Japanese iTunes store, it was all in kanji was kind of hard to figure out. But I guess that's when you learn how intuitive your instincts are when it comes to video gaming. Yeah, for sure. Adam, do you have an app that you use frequently, like, love? Well, I'm, you know, I'm furiously trying to think of an app that I have. Uh, uh, I know your home screen is populated with a bunch of stuff. Oh, I've got, oh, I've got, uh, I got apps everywhere. I am now downloading Downwell, though. Thank you so much. <laughs> you play video games. Yeah, well, yeah? well, you pass time. My, my, my video games tend to be sort of dated. I mean, I'm still playing Fruit Ninja and things like that. I'm still playing Candy Crush. What is an app that I have liked recently? Um, it is another old app, uh, but it, I, I find it's uh, the weather apps are... Uh, the weather apps are a big deal. People they're, are obsessed with finding the right deal, one. They're a big deal, but they tend to be a Imperfect. little complicated. And then they have, you know, the feed is some kind of radar. And then there are all these ads and spams. And, and this is one called Dark Sky that my brother turned me on to. And Dark Sky really is just very fast, very quick. Uh, it's, it, it, it locates where you are very quickly. You can be wherever. And it will show you pretty immediately... Uh, what the weather's going to be like, and it's hyper specific to your Very specific and location like with your you, GPS on your phone. And it's really about like, oh, it's raining now. How long is this going to go on for? Oh, it's about to rain. How long is it going to be? So you can see it's, it's it, it gives you images, and so you look at them, you go, oh, yeah, dark sky. Is it accurate? Yeah, I think so. Dark sky. Okay, Dark Sky, the weather app. It's important to have accurate weather information. It's got, a, it's got an awesome name, Dark Sky. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a game. Dark Sky, and it's very, you know, like these, it's very, very, very fluid, very easy to use, and it's got a cool name, so uh, Dark Sky. I, again, I don't know how current it is, but I, I, I just downloaded it, and I'm quite taken by it. Well, that's the beauty of digital media and the Internet, mm-hmm. and it's something that, you know, we'll talk about 
right now is that you don't know sometimes when something was published or created because it's new to you. And even now, the way people consume news and media, whether it be Facebook or different media sites, it's all gauged by algorithms sometimes versus actual chronological order. You could be reading a Adam Platt best pizza article and find out that, oh, my God, it was pizza from 2012. Yeah, yeah. or it's a different Adam Platt. You don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, you really, you really don't know. I mean, but, you know, you consume it like, oh, that's, oh good. Okay. Oh, God. It's, it's, I read on the Internet. So, you know, it's all part of the sort of washing machine of information that uh, you know, we both uh, turn out as journalists and consume as consumers. And, um, you know, obviously it's affected the restaurant world where I operate uh, in all sorts of crazy ways. Uh, and it's it, it just getting well, there's two ways of looking at it. Either it's getting crazier because information is speeding up all the time. Uh, there are many more options, many more places to find things. Uh, in, in the world of restaurants, which is uh, constantly expanding and people are more interested in that world than ever before. So uh, e either it's getting crazier or we're getting more acclimated to it. And I think it's a combination of both. I would agree that it's a combination of both. I, I will say or say that I've observed... I, that with the increase in the just number of media and outlets that talk about food and restaurants specifically, mm -hmm. we'll stay in the outlets that talk about restaurants mm -hmm. specifically mm -hmm. just to kind of call it down a tad. Because I am a restaurant critic. Because you are a restaurant critic, so an actual paid professional restaurant critic, not a, an armchair, self-anointed. A rarer and rarer thing. Yes. So you are, in fact, sitting across the microphone from a real-life dinosaur. Real-life dinosaur. I'm a real-life dinosaur. Well. All right, we can talk about that later. Yeah. Anyway, yes. So, yeah, that's what I am. And I've been doing it for 15 years now. And I looked through New York Magazine online, and yeah. I think the earliest review of yours I found was Anissa in 2000. Yeah, that was the first one I wrote. Yeah. And Anissa is a wonderful restaurant still there. Amazing. Same. Yeah, still there. Do you remember that first yeah. review and the yeah. first experience yeah. of going in? Yeah. What was that like? That's uh, pretty much what it's like now. You know, I mean, I always, uh, um, I, I came to food writing um, from sort of standard journalism. So I, my, my way, I mean, I've always liked to eat food. But, but uh, my, my philosophy going in was, uh, especially if you're writing about uh, restaurants in New York City, is to tr try and um, uh, paint a picture for your audience. So you're, you're really, you're, you are, on the one hand, you're writing service, piece of service journalism because people want to know, well, those people that, that are, that are uh, going to consume this review, they want to know how to spend their money, some of them. Uh, the majority of them, though, are probably not going to go to Anissa, which is still there, still in the West Village, still a wonderful little uh, restaurant, still, I think, it has Michelin stars at this point. Um, the... the, the um, Majority of people are really going to read your review just for the vicarious pleasure of it. Like here I am, here I am. What's, like what's, travel, what's going similar on? to travel. Travel. Log. You know, the the, the other uh, restaurants are often compared to theater. And New York, same same thing. You know, and so yeah, I, I remember Anissa is a very polished little restaurant uh, run by a, a very talented chef named Anita Lowe. 
uh, and her partner of that that time. And it very looks the way it does now. Very polite. So I went in. I, I was like, wow, you know, ooh, look at this. And I and so I took notes. In those days, I took notes uh, under the uh, scrolled it out of a notepad. And I took notes out of the table, and I sort of tried to recreate. I went there three or four, two or three times, I think, and I tried to, you know, ended up trying to recreate the scene. Then I wrote my review, and then I, then I moved on. Do you remember how you decided on Anissa or how you were culling the information yeah, you know, for potential yeah. choices? And, and in those days, um, uh, uh, you still you don't do it the, the, quite the same way, um, but in those days, and still today, uh, uh, restaurants uh, in New York, restaurants that are ambitious restaurants in New York, uh, tend to open uh, like a little like theater, a little like Broadway shows. So the critics all knew about them. They they uh, would um, they'd have publicity people who would t- send you in those days. They'd send you stuff in the mail and pieces of paper yeah, called you, press kits. Yeah, and you'd sort through it, and you'd go through you'd go to a bunch of restaurants before deciding which one to write about. I decided to write about that one. Because it seemed interesting. I mean, it was, uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't the only one writing about it. I, uh, even in those days, it was hard for a critic to discover a restaurant in New York. Uh, it happens a little bit. But in the, in, the, in the era of the Internet, in the era of the blogs, it's, it's almost impossible. Uh, but, uh, you know, I sifted through all the information, and I decided, decided to, to do it, to do Anissa. Um, and... Uh, you know, these days you get all that information almost instantaneously. Uh, if, if you don't, uh, people who don't like food blogs, and I, I don't even call them blog. They've got different names now. They're blog. They're they're much more mature now. But in the in the early days of bloghood, uh, and especially as the the, the pressures, the, the, you know, blogs like Grub Street, which is a New York uh, magazine blog. Uh, which was founded 10 years ago. It actually seems like 100 years ago. It does seem um, like a lifetime. Uh, Eater is the other one. Mm-hmm. Chowhound. Um, as they became, be, began to, to compete with each other, and as, as competition, the competition bred pressure, uh, you know, whatever they were sent by the PR people would very often just be, <laughs> end up uh, as, a, as a post in uh, you know the post took all shapes and all forms and all sizes, but uh, initially that that that, that kind of the, the the fodder that you would um, digest privately as a restaurant professional uh, suddenly came out into the open and, because it was considered um, sort of a little renegade to to publish information that was previously well, you'd just want to really pro- for the industry. You'd want to process it a little bit. It was in, this, it was in the industry. And, you know, of course, what, what, the, what the blogs did or what, uh, you know, what the Internet does to pretty much everything is that it takes these, these processes which were uh, uh, once upon a time uh, sort of processed by, you know, these uh, sort of uh, critical... Um, mandarins, at least that's how you would want to view a, a re- person like me as a, this sort of wise mandarin who would process the information and then tell you from his, you know, grand, uh, you know, castle, broadcast what to go do and how to see it. And it's true for all all, all, the, all the critics. But it, it, in, in the restaurant world, it took that uh, that that sort of. You know, the job of the manor has become much, much harder. So, and well, let me just say, and, and, and what happened with with the internet is it it took 
the world of the of the of the rest of the of the kitchens and the restaurants and really the, 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 the sort of the culture of the kitchens and it sort of demystified it and put it out in the open. So it is definitely demystified and definitely out in the open. I would, and the the cycle is the cycle the same in terms of restaurant opening, information dissemination, the critics and the people and the influencers coming, writing, reporting, the public coming, no, adding all, their two cents. Is it the same cycle? It's just accelerated. It's all yeah. It's just all accelerated. Because to me, social media, social media, Instagram. Even Yelp seem to be just really accelerated forms of what we used to call or maybe still call the Zagat effect, which was a few people go, they say this is amazing. Then the people who follow behind them say, I went and I too found it amazing. And then that perpetuates the amazingness of a restaurant, a pastry. Sense of amazingness, yeah. And Which is, then sense, we all cycle through that, but it happens much then, quicker now. It happens almost instantaneously now. And the Zagat effect, you know, Zagat was not really, less a critical. Uh, it was. It was the it democratic was a, a comp- gathering compilation of yeah. of, of, of what people think. Regular people. It was Regular sort of you, you could call it crowdsourcing. Yes. Right. But I think it, it was somewhat manipulated crowdsourcing. But the, the main thing that Zagat did, which was their main genius, is it took. It took this unruly world and it put it all in one place. And so you had this book, which was easy to navigate, and it was done by you know, whatever it's done by alphabet. It put it all in one place, and it, you know, if you if you were an enthusiast, uh, it was a it was a it was a great tool. And of course, what the blogs did is they came along and they did that on, online, and they, in a way, and this has all become mobile, which has become almost totally instantaneous. And so it used to have. I think it used to be. I think I wrote a story about this about how blogs have changed. It was a post, actually. It was pegged to um, the 10th anniversary of Grub Street. And, uh, uh, you know, when, when I started this job, and I say this in the piece, uh, there were, A, there were many more paid restaurant critics in New York. Um, uh, now the Daily News doesn't have a critic. The, pay, the, the, the New York Post has a, has a restaurant writer, but he's not a critic anymore. So there are, but, only, there are but, only a few, few paid few, But few, you few do critics. have paid critics at Eater now. You do. So did they just sort of shift to someplace new? Uh, sort of, yeah. And so you have, you have Eater is a much more mature, uh, a moneyed uh, um, uh, food blog these days, thanks in part um, to the fact that they were purchased by uh, Vox, a company called Vox, which no. has, a, has a ton of money. So they mm-hmm. could they could, they could put... Uh, I think they're full-fledged media now. To their credit, they put a lot yeah. of resources in, in, in critics. They have, I think, three working critics now, which is like, you know, more power to them. Anyway, um, uh, when I started, you had critics like whoever was working for the New York, uh, New York Magazine. You had, say, the, you know, the, the Times critics. And you saw yourself really as a... A sort of a miner with a headlamp, sort of shining your headlamp on these discoveries and then bringing these discoveries back to the uninformed public. Uninformed may be too strong, but like you're, 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 tell, you're, 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 you're out exploring this world and you're bringing back all these goodies and you're saying, here, go there, go here, go there. Now, these days, um, your public is much more informed perhaps more informed than you are. Many of them actually like to think they're more informed than you are. And you're really trying to sort of herd people around because they've already heard. They, 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 I still review restaurants. Uh, you know, I try to go to a new restaurant um, 
a month after it's open, which is if you ask the restaurateur is way too That's early, but way too early. But if you ask uh, by, by the standards of the Internet and Instagram, Instagram, Grub Street, anybody. That's too late. You've missed it's the boat a, entirely. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, six circles around the sum. It's a, it's a it's an eon. Um, but I still I still try to do it. Um, but what you're doing now is you're trying to persuade or you're trying to, you know, I, I think in the piece I said you're trying to herd people. You're herd, right. you're herding this 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 chaotic, um, you know, crowd of enthusiasts you're trying to you're sort of a carnival barker say go here go there and they're all rushing around from place to place so my question to you is that you know in real time anyone from the professional critic to the magazine editor to the instagrammer to the you know regular person who's just interested in paying attention in real time we all have the same information. We can all access the same places and then go running to the restaurant and say, I want the dish that the restaurant critic, editor, writer took a picture of and put on mm -hmm. their Instagram feed mm -hmm. and create all of that. Mm -hmm. So we can all kind of consume that information and broadly disseminate it. How important is it to have the context of what that chef was doing 10 years ago or the context of what pizza was like in New York over the last 10 or 15 years because what the internet and the immediate media doesn't have, I think, is that context, which you get from the Mandarin and the castle. The thing that I think the castle has is a good library yeah, of information well, of, of things and, that have happened and the in Mandarin, the past. Yeah, and the Mandarin might have a, sense of, a little sense of history and a different kind of sensibility. Is that and important? I think it's important. I mean, I think it's important. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about restaurant criticism in particular is that it is, and anybody who's done it uh, for any length of time will tell you this, uh, it's the most subjective of all of the quote-unquote critical, I wouldn't call it disciplines, but it, it, it's just very subjective. It's much when book critics and TV critics are all... You know, the book critics are reading the same book. The TV critics are watching the same shows. The movies—they're all—they're all—they're all starting from the same point of attack. Uh, but in restaurants, the things, as anybody who is in, in the restaurant business can tell you, uh, the, the one's experience in a restaurant changes, you know, day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour, depending on how long the place has been open, depending on where you're sitting, depending on whether you like the, your food well done or rare, depending on. You know whether the chef is there in the kitchen or is sick or is having a bad day. So there's all sorts of things go into it. And when you're a critic, you know I think you you and I, I tell people this, and I've talked to other critics, and they sort of agree. You're really making an argument. You're making an you're making an argument. You're setting the scene, and you're telling people how to spend their money. You're trying to do that all at the same time. You're also trying to be um, entertaining and trying not to sound absurdly pompous. Really, so it's not. It's like it's a, it's a, it's like it's 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 harder than it sounds. And I think as a critic, for you know, when you're writing about restaurants, you you want um, to be consistent. And I think that's what to have a system. I think I think that's what is useful for critics. I mean, for for the consumer in this day and age, to find critics who have been around for a while. And whose taste they know, they may not agree with their taste, but who are consistent. And so I think that's like that. That you know, in that sense, uh, you know, you know, uh, there, there is the the internet uh, lends it, and the food world 
in general, but the internet in specific, lends itself to all kinds of what you were saying. Like, I came here, I had it, it was delicious, you weren't here. I want that. I now want I have that. to go and have that, now and I, I have, have to post it. my picture But of you it. better have it, because I already have it. Everybody's and it was really it. good. I loved it. You Wasn't it great? It. We all I love it. I can't believe you didn't have it. I know. It. It's so awesome. I was You had here. it a month later, it's over. Yeah, it's not the same as when I had it. <laughs> and, if, and by the way, this is a on this is this 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 phenomenon in the food uh, publishing world, um, the food world predates the internet by a long way. It just the, took longer. Foodies are always that's a big thing. Just like took oh, longer we were here. Oh yeah, because I, it was uh, in print. Yeah, I you know oh yeah oh, oh yeah oh, oh, oh you you just went to Spain oh, oh I was there three years ago. Did you go? To, oh, you didn't. Oh, so good. Anyway, so that's going <laughs> on and going on. So in in, in a lot of ways. You know, in a lot of with Instagram, I, mean, I, I like it. It's a, it's a relief. Like, I get to go to all these places that I couldn't go. I follow you know, Mugaritz and uh, the Noma, and I follow you, see what they're cooking. And, you know, it, it, it has opened up this quite, you know, uh, cosseted little uh, holier-than-thou world. Uh, it's made it more chaotic, but it's made it more accessible. Um, but what's also happened is that, this is that while this has been going on, this sort of democratization of this of this this world, the, the restaurant world is, is democratized, and par- partially because of of the, of the internet, but partially because tastes are changing. The new, new generation of, of eaters have come along who are le- less interested in pomp and circumstance, and more interested in good ingredients, and more interested in just having you know. Uh, you know, I, I call them the Starbucks generation, members of the Starbucks generation. I mean, Starbucks is pretty good coffee compared to uh, what their parents were choking right. down in the morning. It also is three or four times as expensive. It's more expensive, but it's also like there are all these options. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's also like it's a pampered, informed um uh, you don't want to say millennial, but it's like the, the new generation of eaters are much more. Their parents were um, happy to go to uh, restaurants where the food came from some other country, and the, the waitstaff dressed in fancy clothes and talked down to them in funny accents and told them what to eat. Right. Right. Whether it was French or whatever, They're, they don't have time for that. They don't do that anymore. They want to have the perfect pork chop done in the perfect way. They want to have a really good hamburger. They want to uh, travel and eat as opposed to travel and see museums. They, they view food in a more uh, sort of eclectic, actually more interesting way. And also what you've had while you have the rise of this, this, this new informed Generation, um, the the culture you, used to be that the culture of the kitchen, uh, you had this front of the house world. These restaurants were, were certainly in New York were run by restaurateurs who maybe they were cooks and maybe they weren't, but they they were really trained in the art of. Service, hospitality, deception, eating. deception. <laughs> Actually, I mean, yes, hospitality. Uh, I've it, never heard deception as one well, of the lists. Well, a little bit. It's, it's theater. You know, okay. it, it is theater. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. It, it's, it's theater. You know, you're often in those, you know, you're taking a, a not so great cut of whatever it be for an old fish and you're, <laughs> you're cussing it up in all, all, all sorts like of ways. Mario Batali says, we get some stuff, we fix it up, we sell it for more expensive. Well, I'm not quoting Mary on that, but like <laughs> that, but that is an ancient restaurant. Right. That, that, that happens more than it doesn't happen in, in the restaurant world. 
um, not just in New York, but all over the world. But anyway, so you, what you had if in the last, you know, and again, it's not just the Internet, but the Internet has certainly aided it. Uh, you have the culture of the kitchen, which has, has it was really sort of weirdly a revolution, has uh, uh, the chefs and the chef's culture and the tattoos and the food that the chefs like to eat, a la pork chops, a la burgers, a la steak tartare. Late night. Late night, uh, nose to tail, you know, cow's brains, all that stuff that they used to talk about amongst themselves. The perfect carrot, the, the ingredients, where do I get the perfect stuff? That has all come out into the forefront. The kitchen's in the forefront. Often the kitchen is right there. Right. You're watching them cook. I mean, they're, and they're there, you know, as the, the grand actors on the stage. There's nobody, there's no restaurateur. So that, the wall has come down. And so that, that world, that, that culture, um, is, the, is what people are interested in now. And, uh, you know, you have Tom Colicchio. This is separate even from all the shows. But uh, um, Because it's just capturing the day-to-day life now in real time. And people are fascinated in it. Yeah, they're, 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 they, they want to know about it. And, uh, are, we, are we still fascinated by it, or is it just part of our day-to-day intel? Well, I think people are interested in it. You know, I think the chef, you know, it, it, it's much, much more common now to have um, sort of in the 90s, 80s, 90s, you had this phenomenon where you had these superstar chefs. Uh, Jean-Georges, uh, Daniel Belude, and these are chefs who rose up through the ranks of their kitchens, right? They they basically they're basically products of this incredible Darwinian struggle. In a kitchen, there's no more Darwinian environment than a kitchen. You have no, to, you have to you survive on toughness and talent. I mean, nobody. It doesn't he, really exist that much anymore. It doesn't exist here. Uh, he, you talking about this restaurant here? No, no. I mean, in New York and the U.S., uh, and then it well, started to evaporate in France right. when they change the 35-hour work week. Yeah. I mean, I mean, kitchens are still tough places, and it's of still course. hard running a kitchen. Yep. But you don't... Now, because of the things we've been talking about, uh, if you were Mary Batali, and what Batali is a little different case, but say you're Daniel Boulud. Boulud came from Lyon, worked his way up in the great kitchens of Europe, came here... Plaza uh, Athenae, Le Cirque. Worked at Le Cirque here yep. for years and years, and then went off on his own. Mm-hmm. That's not happening anymore. If you're if you're an ambitious Danielle type, you're not. First of all, you don't have to come to New York. It's, it, you can stay in wherever you're from. You can you can be in uh, uh, you know Copenhagen and say, ah, I'm going to start foraging and taking pictures of what I'm foraging, and I'm going to. So you don't have to come to New York. Um, you, you can even be in Charleston or you, North Carolina, well, which is or and a good thing. Minnesota, anywhere. yeah, you can, absolutely. You can be anywhere, and you know, be, and so the the the, the audience uh, these days, thanks to the internet, largely, and thanks to this sort of uh, uh, the fact that people the tastes are such that if you go go open a bar restaurant with a good burger uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, say. Or a Chinese restaurant in the suburbs of Richmond, uh, and it's good. People will find you, then the internet will find you because there's this, this is one of the ironies is that as this sort of super chef culture has died down, uh, I mean there are great chefs around, but like the superstar chefs, this culture has died down. The appetite for that kind of story with with the explosion of the internet has has increased by a factor of ten. 
So there's this hunger for like the next new thing and what's new and what's going to be good and how can I go there and how can I get there before my friend Danny gets there and so I can tell Danny that I went there. He didn't go there. Or so, better yet, Danny can see my Instagram photo. And I'll see my Instagram. I'll go there. It's gross. So, you know, th- th- there's this huge appetite for uh, the next new thing. Um, and the next new thing is like sort of sometimes sitting there going, wow, you know, what just happened to me? You know, I'm sure if you ask the great, I mean, I, you know, people can argue about who say say New York City, who were the you know who were the super you know, super uh, who who were the stars. So you talk you know, most of them um, in the last certainly the ones who came up in the last ten fifteen years. Uh, the restaurants that they started, uh, you, you talk about David Chang, you talk about April Bloomfield, Spotted Pig, David Chang, obviously Momofuku Noodle Bar. Um, those their restaurants were already uh, phenomenons by the time that critics like, say, me or the New York Times got around to reviewing them. Not not so much me. I have a theory about those two restaurants, which I will talk about as soon as we come back from our break. We need to take a quick break to find out who our amazing sponsors are. Stay with us. Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sirchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous Alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sirchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sirchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. Well, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we are talking with New York Magazine's restaurant critic Adam Platt about the enormous and profound effect that digital media, blogging, social media, Instagram, Twitter, and all of that has had on his profession and on the restaurant industry as a whole. When we jumped off for the break we were talking about the rise of the modern day superstar chefs like Dave Chang and April Bloomfield and their rise is a little bit different from the rise of the previous generation of superstars like Jean-Georges and Danielle who rose up in a classical sense through great kitchens opened their own kitchens and then like machines started to acquire the reviews and the awards and the followings Back in the day when media was print oriented, yeah, Dave- they, they, they were then those chefs that we're talking about were known to the cognoscenti before they burst onto the scene. They were whoever the, the, from dining room experience mostly, or from they knew them. I mean, they yep. were they were it was like uh, uh, b- big league baseball scouts who heard about these prospects c- coming up through the minors. So the scouts knew about them, but the the the, 
the fans at large did not. Uh, thanks to modern technology and the new world that we inhabit, it's almost the other way around now. Uh, both both David Chang and April Bloomfield. Uh, April Bloomfield op- opened, a, uh, we all know, the Spotted Pig, which was really a gastropub. It was really a bar. She was a chef of, uh, well, well, not not so well-known, but her, Ken Friedman, who recruited her, knew her from London. She worked at the River Cafe, brought her over. Chang had, uh, you know, basically... Came out of s- Cafe Boulou. Uh, not Cabot Blue. It was. It was. Uh, uh, he, he worked for Tom Colicchio at Kraft. He, he worked. I mean, he, he, he as he has said and w- would tell people, he did work not that well in a big, uh, big, uh, you know, fancy kitchen. I mean, basically, what he did, and it, it, he wasn't the first chef to do it, but um, he was certainly one of the most visible. As he said, yeah, the, the heck with this. I am going to go find a cheap piece of rent, cheap piece of real estate, which turned out to be the Lower East Side, not Lower East Side, East Village, I, I think probably near, near where he lived. And I'm going to cook the kind of food that I like to cook, to like to eat when I was growing up. I ramen and a sort of a, a sort of a, a sort of a, a umami laced fusion of, uh, you know, the, the kind of Korean American cooking that he had as a kid, and the kind of th- stuff that chefs like, and in, and April sort of the same. You know, yep. she and in both those cases, uh, they were reviewed in in the New York. They were reviewed. Um, I didn't review either of those restaurants. They were reviewed by uh, the underground gourmet uh, critics. And and also they caught on online. And both, I, I ironically, had this iconic dish. Which was either easily photographed or talked about. People talked explained. about incessantly. And with April, it was her famous burger with Roquefort cheese and God knows what else. And of course, with Chang, it was the the uh, the pork bun. I remember going to Chang's restaurant early on, and he had the pork bun, but he also had a chicken bun, which was much like the pork bun, um, you know, in a, in a steamed. You know, Chinatown bun, and I think they had scallions on it. And the hoisin chicken, sauce. Yeah, the, well, the hoisin is on the uh, is on the pork. It may have been, but the chicken. I think he had. I don't know what. But it was the chicken was the cr- very cr- cr- crispy skinned, like you would you get in Chinatown. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, and I thought it was delicious. I thought it was better than the pork bun. I was like, wow, that chicken bun. <laughs> not, not as much traction. No, not everybody agreed with the Mandarin, so the chicken bun soon went the way of the, you know, went the way of the, you know, the, the auk, and the pork bun flourished and went, you know, it was the, it was the pork bun that ate New York and the, and the entire world. Here's my never publicized, but one of my, I, I do believe one of my theories about the success of Dave Chang and the Momofuku Empire. I'm a fan of his. I like the restaurants. I've eaten in all of the restaurants. Mm -hmm. Similar to April at the Spotted Pig, Mm -hmm. when Dave was opening the first Momofuku, I heard about it through chef friends who said, oh, you have to go down. Dave, he's from this restaurant. He's from that restaurant. you got to have this ramen. So I went down there. And then I heard about it from other people. At the very beginning, I think for the first maybe even 10 years of the Momofuku empire, Mm -hmm. he never had a publicist and neither did April. So every person who went in there from the media had to deal directly with him, had to get in touch with him if you could, because that becomes increasingly more and more difficult. 
And every time they write about him and he becomes successful, I think a lot of people had personal affection and affinity for it, helped promote it. And then when it was successful, felt that they were part of that tide that that brought that ship up. So I think people had an investment going into it that then was, you know, accrued interest so that everyone got to share a little bit in the success and then continue yeah. the success. You know, and one of the things that, uh, and I think Ken, Ken Friedman, who started the Spotted Pig, Ken Friedman um, came to restaurants um, from the music music world. Which is kind of perfect. It was kind of, you know, so he was a, used to produce, he was a, he was a producer. And he's told me, and um, I, I'm sure he's told other people, uh, that the 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 new uh digital culture was is is a perfect venue for telling stories and so he would think up storylines and ways of telling the story of this perfect burger or whatever the you know the th- thing is that they were trying to say april stories and how we've got a pig and we're going to do a we're going to do a pig dinner on sunday or whatever and Chang is a, was a genius at that too, and also Chang um, and April, um, because their operations were relatively small, uh, they could change things. You know, they could change. Very nimble. Very nimble. Very good change and try things out. I mean, famously, uh, David Chang's the uh, his second restaurant, the Sambar. Uh, Sambar was a was a disaster in the beginning. Ill-fated Korean chipotle. <laughs> Korean chipotle <laughs> serving these weird, uh, you know, Korean, uh, you know, burrito rolls. Burrito things. rolls. People were like, uh, "Well, this is horrible," and so then he changed it because it was small enough. Right. And it, you know. It, and he's done that consistently. I think I think he's a very good you know, he's a very good innovator. He's got very good business ideas, and the focus with both of them has really been on what's going on here in the kitchen and how am I going to change it and how am I going to better for. Her. I, I'm sure that they're talking to each other about how you know what what does this taste like. You know, the, the kitchen is a, is, a, is a laboratory for them, which you can almost see. You can almost see. And Chang's doing it now with this restaurant Nishi, which is a, was badly reviewed and very. Great profile of uh, Pete Wells in the Times. Pete Wells is the New York Times critic, but it was a profile of Wells in the New Yorker, which was interesting because it was written in a, it, it, it perpetuated. It's in it's some degree. I mean, it's true, but it was written. It, it was the old-fashioned view of the restaurant critic that we have talked about: the Mandarin who makes or breaks, the poor sniveling chefs, right? Which to a certain degree is true, but also to a certain degree is not true anymore. And it's, it's certainly not true of David Chang. And there's a gr- the great scene, and there's a great scene in that, um, that story. The, the story is p- part of the theme that runs through it is uh, Pete or Wells is reviewing Nishi. And he's dealing with Chang and Chang like any you know, critics. Chefs are like, my guy, you know, they, they can't, you know, it's their baby. They can't help being hysterical. They're there. This is a great scene where Chang is like on the phone with the great Mandarin saying, oh, my God, what am I doing? You know, oh, no, no. So in that sense, it does not change. But he has been, if you've been back to that restaurant, which Nishi, which is sort of in the, in the Momofuku mold, it's, you know, they're loud and small and uh, the food is uh, uh, you know, heavily flavored, and it, it it's changing. 
it's changing quite a lot. Rapidly. Quite rapidly. And people are still going and taking pictures. And so it's an, it's an evolutionary process, you can see. And, yeah, that's really because well, of the Internet, and that's not such a bad thing. Well, part of what Internet culture allows us to do is just iterate and reiterate extremely rapidly. And while we have so many sources and so many things and, you know, thousands and thousands of pictures going by the Instagram feed... Going back to something that you said earlier, you know, at the beginning with your review with Anissa, you know, you had a few restaurants you were mm-hmm. looking at, you were mm-hmm. actually able to go out and discover things. Mm-hmm. Now it's a deluge of things. Mm-hmm. Has it become so great, the deluge of information, that you can almost rise above it and just turn it off? Do you ever turn it off and just go back to a very sort of analog, natural way of discovering things? And would that take you outside the everyday? Or are you obligated to just swim if swim with it? If it's me, I'm obligated to swim with it because it's my job. I have to look. I have to. You know, you have to sort of swim with it. Has it but exponentially it, multiplied the number of things that you have to pay attention to now, Russia? Or not pay attention to? <laughs> I mean, everything. That's the thing, obviously, about the new the new digital culture is every, all the information is there for you at any time. It's all at your fingertips. And uh, and all these restaurants that I go and review and that I quote unquote discover are packed with people who've discovered them, uh, you know, months before. Uh, this was all actually also, by the way, true in the pre digital era in New York because people were just wired into it, and there was like, yeah. But the, the the thing that is the I think the challenge in the in the uh, uh, loud, uh, semi-hysterical digital age in the restaurant world has always been the challenge is that um, in the world of the blog, in the world of the, you know, what's new, what's great, I love it, I love it, what's new, uh, there's, it, it, there's a lot of cheerleading and there's not a lot of negativity. People don't want to hear that this thing tastes bad. They don't want to hear that it's, you know, what a, what a, you know, what, yeah. Well, that, I'm just saying from the digit. If you look at the, the if you look at the early Grub Street, you really like, that's it's, true. It's there like and I uh, my my comparison was uh, seals on a rock clapping away, just clapping, <laughs> just oh that's great, oh that's wonderful, oh that's why well, I love that, that's wonderful, and a lot of it is a subject of. It's a function of information. You got to get stuff out. It's a function of uh, being positive because that people will, will, will read it, and it's like, oh, that's great. I, that burger is the best burger. I love that burger. You know, heat maps. So the burger heat maps are like right now. Poke like poke is really hot. Yes, it is. So what? Poke. I mean, I don't know. Poke. Poke. You have to have something hot. You have to have something that gets people going. And this is a. I think this is a. This is this is a. You know, it's a digital phenomenon. And uh, it's a little exhausting for an old-fashioned jaundiced critic like me. So what's your, what's your long view then? What do you think the next turn is going to be? Or what are your predictions for going forward? Is it just uh, more? Does it well, reach listen, a tipping listen, point? No, the long, you know, the, 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 the long view is that um, I think that uh, I, I think in the story that I wrote, it was like I, I'm not uh, – these digital forums have all evolved. We talked about mm-hmm. Eater. Yep. Eater is now has uh, full-time critics, very good right. critics, and although Eater is the exception. Well, uh, you have, you have other have... sites, with a more, a more, sta- a more, a more um, uh, representational site uh, would be Infatuation, mm-hmm. uh, which you, uh, I mean, Infatuation is very useful, actually. 
Um, it's uh, uh, they do a lot of lists, a lot of listicles, you know, top 10 stuff, you know, the best dim sum in Chinatown, where to get a, uh, you know, where, where to go in Flushing for Thai food. It's very useful, but there's um, it's 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 relentlessly enthusiastic. Right. So much like Zega, it's relentlessly enthusiastic, uh, but it's a very good tool. All right. In the same way Michelin guides are. It's not it's not a, it's not necessarily a, 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 a digital uh, like I was saying, the food world is is is, is, is fueled on has been fueled on enthusiasm for a long time, uh, but that's magnified in, in 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 this digital age. So I see, like you know, there's be more of that. So that's fine, but it, you know, the the, the tr- trick is is basically you have to ultimately you have to go there yourself, <laughs> and and hopefully, uh, the, the critical voices will survive. You know, it, obviously, as Pete Wells has proven. A bad review gets a lot of attention too. Yes, online. Yes, now and then it does. Although you can't make a habit of it, you can't do it all the time, but it does get attention if it's you know it's a conversation well, well thought out. And there are certain the internet has certain people that is in the food world that they you know if you want to say something about bad about whatever uh, the latest weird thing that Taco Bell has turned out the weird stri- about the troubles of uh, Chipotle about Guy Fieri. If you want to talk about that, people are happy to pile on. So, you, you know, that's, that's you know, I, I think that's more like bear baiting than anything else. But it is, it, it is something that happens in the, digital, in the digital world. The negative criticism now is almost uh, exclusively in the public forum now. Most of the negative Yelp. commentary you know, comes Yelp. from know, comments and Twitters and Yelp and all of but that. Do you read comments anymore? I don't read comments. No, I'm curious to know the number of comments, though. If I look at a review and there are over a thousand comments on it, that says something to me. Well, it means people generate, somebody's generated, uh, you know, the, uh, the other thing that's happened with the old, I mean, I'm sad to say, the old-fashioned reviews, the kind that I write, the Pete Wells writes, um, when I started uh, writing them and they were first online, uh, and they were online on the magazine's website. They were the, among easily the most read things on there, right? Now, as the as these websites um, mature and the the, the the editors go after a more national audience, food the passion food is a passion for everybody, but it's it tends to be the pa- passion about New York restaurants is still in New York, so. New York Magazine now, the, the or the website, the media, New York media, they have, they don't just have a, they, they, you know, they do Hollywood, they do culture, they do the, they do the world, and so within that great maelstrom, the New York Critics Review of, uh, you know, your favorite pizza joint or whatever it may be, is passionately read by a small number of people, but it, you know, related to the rest of the traffic, it's not as big as it was. So, uh, you know, in fact, the opening of that pizza joint will probably get more traffic than your review. So, you know, you have to find ways to try and engage people in this kind of uh, environment. It's, it's, it, you know, for the old-fashioned critic, it's getting harder and harder, and the, one of the ways you do it is to write the occasional uh, slam. Mm. Well, and occasionally you probably do have less than great meals. Well, well you, have, you, have them all, you, you have them all the time. You know, you have them all, you have them all the time. Um, it, it's a it's a much more democratic uh, 
the dining world in New York, I'm, I'm just going to talk about New York, but I think it's true all over the country. There's, there's much better food all over the country, but the great food is harder to find. So it's a much more, it's a two, it's been said a hundred times, but it, you know, if you're talking about the, the, the ratings, four stars to three stars to two, it's really a two star world. There's two stars. There's delicious food all over the place. There are wonderful hamburgers, there's pizza, but the, the, those more rarefied places are harder, harder to find. Certainly, especially in New York City where the rents are so high, it's, it's harder, you know, th those restaurants don't open very much in New York anymore. Yep. That is true. Rent is a rent, and all the rising costs of everything are are definitely making a tough a tough impact and, on the restaurant yeah, world. You know, ulti and ultimately, like we, we, uh, there's a story that I wrote about the, the blogs. Uh, the chef called Alex Stupak, who's a very media a great chef, very media savvy. Cla his trajectory is classic. He, he was a, uh, an award winning pastry chef, um, um, and decided to open up a, 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 a taco taco restaurant, like fancy fancy. So he has a series of fancy, uh, you know, up, but it's tacos for comfort food. It's an upmarket comfort restaurant. And he was talking about the internet, and he's saying, you know, you'll get a lot of attention um, online, and so you have to tell stories, you have to get people's attention, but that attention is going to disappear as quickly as it came. So you're, certainly in New York, uh, you better have a neighborhood audience who's just coming to you because you're a good restaurant in the neighborhood, because without that, you're not going to survive. Because it's like really the, the 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 digital consumer is like a giant school of fish. You know, they're coming and they're going, and then they're on to the next thing. And so you better you, you better cultivate, uh, which is why the bar restaurant is such a you know such a a, a staple in this day and age. You know, Spotted Pig's the bar restaurant. Uh, Chang's restaurants are really sort of bar restaurants. They're sort of nighttime coffee shops. Yeah, you know. So you better cultivate that local, uh, non-digital. Uh, constituency, because ultimately that's how you're going to sink or swim. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, and I'm sad about that because I think we could talk with Adam for hours and hours, hours certainly, at least over hours. the course of a really long, super expensive meal. Yeah, we got to check our phones. <laughs> I will ask you one last question before you right. go. What do you see right. coming in 2017? Either uh, food trends. Any trend from your from your Mandarin Tower? What do you see on the horizon? What do we see from the Mandarin Tower? Now, we'll, we'll talk about New York. Mandarin Tower, New York. You have you have a, a, with the Shake Shack and Danny Meyer's great sort of burger bonanza. Uh, all all the great chefs or the accomplished chefs are just there's just there's just this this, this just desperate scrabble for what is called the fast casual part of the, the the dining dollar so you have the changs you have the blue you have april bluefield just opened you know she's opened another burger joint she's opened the butcher shop which serves sandwiches chang's got a, this fried chicken sandwiches so, so they're all just just trying to get in on that um uh action and uh, which is again not a bad thing I, mean, I, I love to eat fried chicken sandwiches so there's a lot of that uh veggie burgers uh, right you know um, and at the same time, the grand restaurants, the money, it's all predicated on real estate. And so uh, what you ha what you have in this coming year is you have the opening of uh, the old guard restaurateurs, uh, Keith McNally, Balthazar uh, of fame is one. He's opening a new restaurant in the same, in the same um, uh, Augustine, uh, Augustine in the same. I believe it's a hotel uh, as Tom Caliccio. They're literally right across from each other. 
Um, uh, Danny Myers opening a new Union Square Cafe, sort of a reboot, a modern reboot of that. Um, um, in New York, the, I think the Union Square Cafe is not that, but it, in, in New York, uh, these more ambitious projects tend to uh, rely on uh, a, a real estate, some kind of real estate deal, whether it's in a hotel lobby or a development that, that gives them a good deal. So you can see a lot more of that. So it's like it's like some the, larger real estate it's entity. Big money, it's yep. big money stuff. It's the, the, the kind you of can't afford to be a standalone anymore. Right. And the kind of food is not necessarily Augustine. It's more like it's like high brasserie. It's not gourmet. You're not seeing a lot of uh, old fashioned gourmet restaurants opening. You're seeing these high brasseries and you're seeing fast casual. And there's just a numerous pizza joints and burger joints and those things in between. And a lot of bar restaurants. So more of the same, but more so. Okay, more of the same, more so. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that this is all the time we have, but if you like this episode and you want to listen to it over and over and over again, <laughs> you can go to heritageradionetwork.org. Go to the Tech Bytes page. Um, if you like this show, if you really love it and want to keep us on the air, click the beating heart and throw us, you know, maybe what you spent on a Starbucks coffee today. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely entirely on our members and sponsors to keep the radio on the airwaves. If you click Tech Bytes as the reason for your donation, I will send you the Potluck PDF cookbook, Winter is Coming. I hope you enjoyed the show. Come back and see us again. Tech Bytes, Thursdays at 11 a.m. I'm Jennifer Leutze. Thanks for joining. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.